Last time we talked, you said, you know, I'm not really a playful person. <laughs> when would you say that was the last time that you played? Oh, I played over the weekend. I was just home with some family. We played a game called Triominoes. And uh, it's kind of, it's like dominoes, but with the, the shapes are triangular. And uh, it's, it's a fun game. But what, what I realized, I went home and I hadn't played it before. And so I read the instructions. And so we started playing. And, uh, you know, after you placed your Triomino down, everybody in my family would then take one from like the, the bucket the, the, of extra triaminos. And I, I said, wait, no, you're not supposed to do that. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see in the directions where it said to do that. Like, yeah, it's in there. Like you have to take, you know, we always, we always play it that way. I said, well, you may always play it that way, but that's not how the game was, was designed. And I was like, no, 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 it's in the instructions. I said, I just read the instructions. And so I gave them, to somebody else, I said, please show me in the instructions where, see, this is why I'm no fun. Please show me in the instructions where it says that you you pull to replace. Um, and they couldn't because it doesn't. So um, we ended up playing by the instructions because I think this is where, I think the, the game was designed in a, in a way. And this is going back to the Monopoly example. Most people, when they think of a Monopoly game, they think of something that's at least a few hours long if not multiple days yeah. and uh but if you actually follow the instructions 90 minutes now some of the things have made it more fun but i at least want to try with triaminos i wanted to like play the baseline way and then see where we can make it instead of just because i didn't have the experience of playing it the way that it was intended to be so um yeah i, I, I was playing i was playing that game and then, <laughs> you know, uh, i have a fun side uh and it comes out but like that's not it's certainly not the first impression. Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. I'm talking today with Dave Mastronardi. I found him uh, through the book Gamestorming. I've had the book for many years now, and in brief, it has game protocols that are specifically aligned to various elements of what a team might do together, forming, solving problems, design challenges, responding to product failures or preventing them, um, all sorts of things. And that is often how I use them with cohorts of teachers or with my own team. Um, Dave, for those who may not be familiar with the book, could you share more about it and about how you came to GameStorm? I came across GameStorming back in the year it was published in 2010. And through an acquisition, I became colleagues with two of the three authors. So James and Dave were working at the agency uh, that Dave Gray founded, Explain. And uh, I was living in Austin at the time, 
Sunny was also in Austin, but she was doing, she wasn't part of Explain. And so I really didn't meet Sunny until, until much, much later, even though we were living much closer uh, to one another than I was yeah. to either of the other two authors. Uh, and so I was just, I was just consulting. I was just filling up slides with text. And of course, with an acquisition, we got a copy and it immediately spoke to me as I was flipping through the pages. I don't know that I would have uh, come across anything that is connected with game storming had it not been for this, this, this merger. The games immediately spoke to me. The approach immediately spoke to me. All of the things that I had been doing up to that point I felt like were such a struggle, just things I was doing with teams and clients. And I thought this is the stuff that I should have learned when I was in school. Yeah. And that's kind of when it hit me that nobody teaches you how to work. You just show mm. up, you know, school doesn't teach you how to work. Yeah. And you just show up at work and you look to your left, you look to your right, you see what they're doing, how they run a meeting. And uh, if you're lucky, you have some great examples and mentors. Uh, I think a lot of people are unlucky in that regard. Um, and so I got super lucky that I crossed paths with this with this crew, and I was able to get a copy of this book. And then not only could I learn from the book, but I could look up and I could see the people who wrote it doing what was in the book. And so then I got to, I started using it everywhere I went and, uh, in some form or fashion. And, um, I was overseas. I came back and it's when I came back that I got in touch with the authors again, uh, as I was looking to reestablish myself in, in the States and this opportunity came up to my word kind of curate, um, the game storming community and the site and keep it running and Part of what is, is so interesting to me in listening to you describe this story is that while some people might pick up this book with the word game in it and be like, oh, this is a playbook. This is like, this is a game. Like you said, you know, people coming to the website looking for a game to play with their team. You saw it as the way that we work, the way that we should work. When we spoke earlier, um, you identified something that really resonates with me, and that's the resistance around association with the term play. Like we use play for so many different things. Why is play problematic at times when we're thinking about, you know, this activities, these activities that you might do or how we engage in the workplace? I think the way um, most of the time, and this is this is a lot of feedback, uh, and uh, usually a topic that comes up in the expedition, people want, always want to know, like, how do I, how do I sell this in? Mm -hmm. Not not an expedition per se, but how, the concept. How do I get more people to to do this? Yeah. And we ultimately like you have to kind of you have to you have to disguise it. You can't say you know we're gonna we're we're gonna do game storming and we're gonna have a lot of sticky notes and we're gonna draw and we're gonna play. Uh, because unless somebody has been through this and they know just how valuable and impactful and generative it can be, 
a lot of those a lot of those words play we're going to draw um we're going to brainstorm even uh you know they don't fly well in what i'm told is a professional environment you know we have very professional clients and you know we can't have them drawing stick figures and so there's you have to focus on the outcomes and i think so many game stormers really want to share the means or the features of it all but I think that's the thing that starts to get you in trouble is because it's not, you know, we're professional and we have to get these things done and we can't play games, you know, just even that phrase, yeah. we're just playing games here. Don't play games, right? We don't want to play right. games in our personal life and certainly not in our professional life. But um, have you discovered any better ways to talk about the activities? Um, you know, we so things withdrawn, we use visual frameworks or blueprints or schema, things like that. And we say, you know, we're, we're going to prototype mm -hmm. instead of uh, which so some more of these professional sounding words that have a little bit of sterility to them. But, I, you know, you have to give you have to give them what they want before you can give them what you want. Yeah. Um, you know, so coming in and saying, you know, design thinking. Uh, yeah, it's, it's design thinking. It's not only design thinking, but there are certain accepted phrases, you know, systems thinking, uh, com complexity thinking, right. you know. Um, and, and I think if you say something like, uh, you know, people buy people buy into what they help create if there's a change, um, yeah. change management element of it, that seems to resonate with, with folks. Um, but this is another, I don't give, share too much about the agenda. Um, beforehand unless the client yeah is like, right, so wait you, you know you do have something right because i you a lot of times i'll give them <laughs> a, a pie chart agenda and it's like oh in the morning we're going to set the context in the afternoon we're going to explore and then at, in the late afternoon we're going to make decisions and commitments and, and they you know they want sometimes somebody oh, wants to see like the minute by minute and so i might like share a screen screen briefly but um so yeah, I think sometimes you don't mention it. You talk about the outcomes. You know, we're gonna everybody's gonna be clear. We're gonna have a prioritized such and such, or we're gonna have a project plan. Everybody's gonna know what their next steps are gonna be, um, and you talk about that. And then when they do it, they realize they're like, oh, okay, you know, um, now I get it. Okay. And then it, then it's then it's not taboo. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's interesting. It, um, your description of it makes me think of an experience early on in my professional career where um, there were a number of us in a management training program. They sent us to a, a speaker um, workshop right, to, to improve our speaking skills. It's a two-day workshop. And during the workshop, we literally drew stick figures right? mm -hmm. because in the process of um, trying to identify how do you really hold on to the big ideas of what you want to convey rather than memorize the words on a page, drawing helps us do that. And, and we went through this whole process and it didn't mean by the end that we were showing our stick figures instead of PowerPoint slides, um, but it did help in the process of us really thinking about and working through and remembering the big ideas that we might want to convey. 
Yeah, there's something called the dual coding theory that talks about that. And it says, you know, if you just write something down or if you learn a concept or, you, you know, you were, you were putting topics together mm -hmm. for, for a talk, if you do it with just text, um, you will have a lower recall rate just in terms of retention and accuracy than if you learn the concept or you write it down with some kind of uh, shape or drawing or iconography. Yeah. Uh, it's something like 65% um, uh, more accurate and for 65% longer, you'll remember whatever it is you're learning if you're drawing alongside of the of the text. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that can even be something like doodles. You know, a lot of, I don't know, we get in trouble for doodling. And it's actually, you can read, Sunny has another great book called The Doodle Revolution. And she talks more about the science of this and that. Um, you're actually paying more attention if, if you're doodling, even if it's just swirls and random, what appeared to be random shapes. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I think if your teacher walked by and you were taking those notes in the class, they'd be like, what, you know? Yeah, stop, sometimes, stop sometimes playing think, around. Yeah, <laughs> one of the other problematic ways we use play, right? Dave and I talk a lot about structure during this interview. And you may think, what does that have to do with leadership? But leaders are constantly creating spaces. As leaders, we're often the ones who set up meetings. We decide who's going to come, what are we going to do? How will we enter into a new discussion? Oftentimes, meetings are just thrown together as a calendar invite and a Zoom link. But we have opportunity and responsibility to do a lot more. As a leader, we actually create the space and rules by which our people can thrive as long as we do it with intention. So as you listen to Dave talk about structures for games, I want you to think about what are the structures you can create as a leader and how do those structures invite innovation, risk-taking, vulnerability, connection with another person. The way we shift organizational cultures may just be in the way we play. I have to ask, because you don't host workshops, you host expeditions. Right, right. right. What does an expedition look like? Well, we came up with the expedition, and I'm happy to call anything an expedition just because it sounds more fun than a workshop uh but you know we never wanted to do just a training anytime we uh would do anything that you know would resemble training or where a client would say they wanted to learn how to game storm we always wanted to have a problem of theirs to approach and then we would apply the game storming technique and then it would of course in in the context of you know a workshop just to okay. use a word that everybody knows yeah, never just wanted to have a game storming certification, right? And right. it becomes it comes a little operational, it becomes a little sterile, and I think it takes a little bit of the magic out of it. So the expedition was really something that that when everybody got sent home, I started getting emails. Well, can you game storm online? Can you game storm online? And you know, of course you can, right? right. It was just I think it's um it's your context. The, game, the book was written and, you know, any picture you see of somebody game storming is, is, is done in, 
for the in-person experience, right? It's, it's in a room, it's hand-drawn. But, um, you know, you don't need much and you don't need the fanciest version of whatever software it is to GameStorm. Well, uh, and it strikes me that as you've described it, GameStorming as a, as a framework, as an art, that, uh, you know, any kind of art, you can translate it to different mediums. And so, yeah, it will look a little bit differently. It will shape itself differently. But if that's what drives the structure and the interaction, then sure, you can do it online or you in do person. It yeah. So you talked about giving that attention to structure of how do you enter? How do you play? How do you come out of an experience? Um, how do you prepare to create that space for a game, this space for play. So when you think about the structure and and the chaos, um, you know, the structure is the game and, and the boundaries and the rules, just like any other game that we play. Um, and then you see where people take it. You give it structure so you can allow the the people in the room to provide some chaos, right? And so you're constantly going back and forth between the two. It's the same thing mm. with the planning and improvising. I go into every every workshop, every expedition. I know what I'm what I think I'm gonna do minute by minute. Um mm. but you also have to improvise based on what happens when you get in the room or in on the Zoom. So it's not that you don't improvise right. or that you only plan. It's just that you have to be comfortable going back and forth between the two. Think of like an infinity loop, right? Right. You have to weave the two together. Yeah, it's too much chaos. We've got to like, okay, I got to rein everybody back in. Okay, it's yeah. a little too uptight. We have to loosen things up. So you're constantly going back and forth between these these different states. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me with the the way you describe games as this really is an alternate universe for a little while where you have rules that you're following you have boundaries um you have time as a as a boundary is that it is it is in some ways creating a different society and structure for interaction right mm -hmm. which could either kind of copy and replicate the power dynamics of the structure at work or it could provide a different space and a different way of interacting. And I'm curious how you see that play out in relation to power dynamics. Yeah. So, um, well, look, I think some, there's something about, uh, those are two different, two different points and like two different, um, slightly different orthogonal answers here. I think one is about a facilitation technique. And mm -hmm. I think one about, one is about, um, like what's a game, right? And so we talked about the game board, the supplies, uh, the materials, and that includes time and people, and then the instructions. But it's also, you know, it's voluntary, right? Like we've all okay. agreed to this. And in some ways it's inconsequential, which I think is why people, when you say, okay, we're going to play a game, it's like people try things and yeah, maybe you don't want, we, we, there's no winners and losers in the games that we play. And I think that's, you know, just uh, an asterisk on what we, when we say we game, we, we play games, uh, there's, you know, gamification of things, which I think involves incentives and motivators to, to win or to score points or to get about that. We're talking about games really in the, in the terms that I mentioned, the game board, the supplies and the rules, right? 
no right. no winners or losers we're not keeping score um but so for the most part it's inconsequential right like you can like you said you can mimic real world yeah. dynamics which is what how monopoly monopoly was originally developed to um teach about the all of the evils of of monopolies right yeah. um it turned into a really popular game through some twists and turns. <laughs> uh, but it was it was intended to be like a teaching mechanism in which you know you enter this this fictitious world where everybody agrees to these rules and so um i think that's really important when you think about playing games and um you know when people talk about being we don't play games we're professional uh you have to it's it that kind of mentality it's it's the powerpoint mentality right like even you can bring out a powerpoint presentation and even if it says draft everywhere there is just there's a tone that is set when you're presenting even if it's just on the laptop with a colleague side by side um or more likely you're sharing a screen through a zoom these days or if you put it up as soon as the powerpoint goes up there's a, there's a sense of formality and like this has to be right Right. You know, like we 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 have to get the right thing the first time here. When you play this game, it's okay to be wrong, and that's when the surprising things come up, the alternate approaches. And so, because it's inconsequential in that sense, um, it becomes more thoughtful. And I, we iterate, right? The PowerPoint yeah. culture is more of like a waterfall culture, and. I think game playing is more of a um, an, an iterative culture. Now, the, the the power dynamic thing, you know, we talk about flattening the room, and that's what games do. So go back to the Monopoly example. So like, so we have the game, but when you think about the way that um, the game is facilitated, um, everybody at the beginning of a Monopoly game has an equal chance to win. The highest paid person in the room doesn't start with any more money and you know the introvert doesn't start in jail so what a game does is it provides parity now um we talk about power dynamics um a lot of times we talk about personality types mm. um and so that's one aspect of it and we always we like to a lot time for every kind of personality type yeah uh so for those people who don't aren't as comfortable just jumping right into a conversation, you know, you need to give them time to come up with their ideas before all of a sudden you say, okay, now I want you to go with a small group and think about some ideas. Uh, and then we want you to present them to the, to the group. Right. But then you also have to give some time for some kind of free form conversation, uh, for, for other personality types. So there's, there's a technique uh, to that. And like, there's a, there's a flow. I, I, I usually draw a graph of this, you know, you got to move through this individual group room arc when you're, when you're uh, dealing with this to get, to allow everybody a chance to participate. The other thing that happens when you're playing these kinds of games, I refer to it as, um, you know, we're ideal laundering. And so, mm -hmm. you know, how, um, I don't know, uh, the mob or some kind of criminal organization launders money to to disconnect it or to make to make it untraceable from the source yes um we tried to make the idea untraceable from its from the idea generator 
right. which is a bit radical in a professional sense because so often there's this the the belief of oh i need to be the one that is presenting this idea and moving this idea forward that's part of my credibility right look if you're the if you're the boss um like let other people do the work you know <laughs> that's just just and so that's that's really our approach or one of the one of the philosophies here is the answer is in the room your job is to get it out right mm. the job here is to facilitate the work getting done it's to unblock the people on your team and that's what really game storming is about is unblocking um and so no you don't have to come up with the you you know your you your company hired really smart people your job is to unlock them We are nearing to the end. So one question specific to game storming, and that is how do people connect, find out more? Gamestorming.com is where all the games are. Uh, we also <clears throat> have a listing of our upcoming expeditions. Uh, if you want more info on the expeditions, the training, the consulting side, uh, it's gamestorming.group. Okay. And um, I'm Matt Dave at gamestorming.group. If you're curious about game storming, um, any kind of creative, facilitative, collaborative work online or offline. Okay. And final question. Mm -hmm. Could you leave our listeners with an invitation to play at work? Maybe a short game. I think so, uh, like a, a, a fun one to do. Um, that's a little more creative and imaginative is the cover story. People love the cover story. Uh, it's actually a game that was developed by a consultancy called The Grove. But you need some kind of a frame. Like the, the idea is that you imagine your team or your organization on the cover of a magazine for first, you did something wonderfully fantastic. Yeah. Um, and to think about that future. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a fun thing to do. Again, it helps to have to go through and set some context and, and do some opening games before you get right to it. But my guess is that you could probably do it um, even without that, if, if your group has been together long enough. Can, yeah, I could imagine that a team that has been working on something and maybe even where it's been struggle, struggling to kind of make that next breakthrough, taking that step back and saying, okay, okay, let's imagine we've succeeded. What it, mm -hmm. And we end right. up on that cover story. What yeah. does it look like? Okay. Yeah. And, um... When I asked Dave to give all of us an invitation to play, he actually thought of four different games that they have on game storming. One was not yet up. And so, um, so he wasn't quite sure what the name would be and and what a good example would be, but it was the first one he thought of. So I wanted to share what that one is now that you can find it on their website. It's called Even Flow, and it's around polarity management. Look it up. While you're there on their website, I'll add two more to look up. One holds a special place in my heart because I bought the book Game Storming for everybody on my team and said, hey, just look through it, find one that you want to try. And the first one that a team member tried 
was the low-tech social network. It is a beautiful one to do as a team is gathering for the first time and really looking for the connections that they might have with other people in the room. We did it with a group of 20 and it was spectacular. And the other I found for the first time when I was looking back on the website for the new game on polarity management. It's called Squiggle Birds. That's right. Squiggle Birds. When you're back at your computer and have a chance to look it up on the website, give it a try. But before we end this episode, here's Dave describing one more of the games that he really enjoys. Somewhere in the middle of these two is something like a pre-mortem, which I think... I've done one of those before. Actually, I've done it a few times. I found it really helpful. It's a good idea. Uh, you know, we like the the trigger for when I suggest a pre-mortem is when people are very confident that the project <laughs> is going to go to plan. So, oh, no, yeah. I think I think we need to ground ourselves here in a pre-mortem. So that, that, <laughs> the the reality one. check that actually can make things better. Yeah. I think sometimes... nothing ever goes to the plan. Yeah. And sometimes I think we, we're like, we get all excited. And we're like, oh, like we'll do this and it'll all be perfect. And doing that pre-mortem helps us make it even better. It's actually, I think there's data to show that um, thinking through the reasons a project might fail improves its uh, probability of success. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. You're welcome, Mary. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces.